Welcome in the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for finding us, as you can on any podcast feed. Also, look for FiveReasonsSports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, ReasonsSports.com. The only no-paywall site in South Florida covering all South Florida sports, so not just the Heat, but also we've got a bunch of Dolphins covers up there going into their season opener against the New England Patriots. We've got Hurricanes coverage as they open up against UAB at home on Thursday. We'll be staffed with three people from Five Reasons Sports at that game, as well as our Marlins, Panthers, Inter-Miami, MMA, and eSports coverage all on the website. Also, Check out our YouTube channel. Several new shows have gone up there recently. And, of course, the live streams, which are hosted by our friend Alphonse Sidney, who basically put Marvin Williams into retirement last night. We'll talk about that a little bit here on this episode. Also, our sponsors, including Mark Brown, PA. This is Real Estate Litigation and Transaction Law, a full ser- which comes with a full-service attorney-owned title company. You're looking for a good closing fee on your real estate transaction, $295 on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. That's right. Just 295 bucks on the closing fee on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. They also handle evictions for landlords and tenants, and they offer flat fee evictions. Mark Brown, PA, practicing for nearly 15 years here in South Florida. The easiest way to reach him is Mark, M-A-R-C, at markbrownpa.com or call the office at 954-566-5678. Again, that's 954-566-5678, markbrownpa.com. And now, today's episode. One, two, three, four, five. On the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick. With Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, and Greg Sylvander. Part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on Five on the Floor. Here's today's floor plan. We've got Alex Toledo, Tropical Blanket. You can follow him on Twitter. No Alphonse Sidney or Greg Sylvander tonight. They're getting the night off again. Alf did some big things last night on the stream, which we're going to discuss. But filling in, I think we've more than made up for it. I think this is the fourth appearance on Five on the Floor. Our friend, he's now at Yahoo Sports. Uh, he's covered, covers all the NBA now, covered the Pistons and the Bulls for quite a while, knows quite a bit about our friend Jimmy Butler. Vinny Goodwill. Vince, thanks for joining us today. Oh, this should be fun, guys. How you guys doing? We're doing well. And you came on before the season. I'm going to start here, and then we'll kind of cycle back a little bit into this game tonight, which if, if you didn't watch it um, and you're just finding out about it now, the Raptors and Celtics are going to a Game 7 uh, double overtime game tonight. For some reason, an ISO was called for Norm Powell at the end of uh, the first <laughs> overtime, but the Raptors overcame that and still won the game. Kyle Lowry with a big shot in his 53rd minute. We're going to talk about that, but I want to start here with Jimmy with the events because you came on, I don't know, before the season, like August, September, yep. after the trade was made and talked about why you thought this would be such a good fit for Jimmy Butler. You also did a, a big sit down with Jimmy a few months ago as you look at him now in the eastern conference finals has he validated everything he believed about himself absolutely i mean he's not only validated everything he believed about himself but he validates what he validates this sort of cowardly franchise strategy that says 
if you don't have one of three players, then you might as well tank. You know what I mean? Like people would say you can't build around a player like Jimmy Butler because he's not a supernova. And the Heat said, you know what? We got the pieces. We got the culture. We go deep and we'll give him the keys and we'll figure it out. And they didn't, they weren't scared off by him. They didn't look at him and say he's not good enough. They told him that he was good enough. They said, this is your franchise. And, and if you, and, and to my surprise a little bit, he's been gracious in saying, this is Bam's franchise. Bam's the guy, even though he's in charge. You know what I mean? Like, like not even some reverse psychology there, but just for Jimmy to know, to be able to read the room in a way that, you know, maybe he didn't care before, but he cared, but he understands now. And it just seems like a match made in heaven. I can't think of a player and a franchise that's a better fit in today's NBA than Jimmy Butler with this Miami Heat franchise. And I mean, you, you talk about that and it really is like, this is straight up out of a textbook. Like if Pat Riley were to come up with his own like fantasy novel for how the Heat would turn around their situation post LeBron, I just think that like, this is as good <laughs> as it gets. Like you talk about a team where there's no top 10 picks all these guys are just straight underdogs. You've kind of got everybody who, who can do a little bit of everything. What I did want to ask you, though, somebody who knows Jimmy well enough or, you know, a lot more, a lot better than other reporters, how do you feel about the way that he's kind of empowered Bam from the start? I, I, I full-heartedly believe that he believes Bam is just as important to the team as he is and as well as empowering the rest of his teammates. I think a lot of people kind of scoffed at all the things he was saying pre, you know, pre the NBA season when he was kind of hyping up. Uh, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and you know Spo was calling Duncan Robinson the best shooter in the game before he even played this year I, I think there's a lot of a lot of um what, what's the word I'm looking for like Jimmy was empowering those guys from the start and I think that that's a, 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 a hypothesis that worked for him do you think this is something he's done in the past this is something new for him and how do you feel about that in general well I think it's like this for him to empower uh, the Tyler Heroes and Duncan Robinsons and guys like that. The number one thing that Jimmy Butler respects is work. If you put in the work with him, he'll ride for you publicly. He'll ride for you privately because you don't have to be doing the work with him. You just have to be doing the work. And those guys are sort of, I don't say get it from the mud, but Jimmy's a guy who became a great NBA player by basically just putting the work in the gym. And it sounds really, really simple, but that that's that. And a desire to be better than what people expect you to be. So Duncan Robinson, you, you guys, you guys all know his role and everything else. Like he really, really likes that. Tyler Hero is probably like the little brother he never had all the swag in the world. Right. You know, I said, I said last night, Ethan, there was a battle for the heart of black people with cookouts everywhere between Tyler Hero and Dante DiVincenzo and whoever won the game <laughs> last night was going to get that last that last ticket. And guess who came up with it? Tyler Hero with passes and drives to the basket when he wasn't even allowed to dribble to start the season. Like, and that to me just shows the work. So going to BAM, you have to think about it like this. Jimmy played for a Chicago Bulls franchise where every time he took a step, there was resistance. There's resistance sometimes from other players, resistance sometimes from the franchise itself. He knew that's not going to be the case here. This franchise has empowered me, so I don't have to take it from anybody. I don't have to fight within my own locker room for respect because the front office respects me, because the coaching staff respects me. I can now 
empower this younger guy whose position I was in once before in Bam Adebayo. And, can, and he can genuinely say, this guy's the future of the franchise. This guy's important. I need him. We all need him. As long as everybody knows that Jimmy's crazy ass is still in charge. And that's not, and that, and that's not me taking a shot at him. But Jimmy gets the chance to steer the franchise. And even in him steering it, he's still empowering other people. And I think that's something that he always wanted when he was, you know, coming up. So he made sure that he was going to pass that thing forward to the younger guys in this franchise. You know, one of the things that's been said many times by people around Jimmy this year is that Bam Adebayo is Jimmy Butler's favorite teammate. And, and when I've thrown that out, it doesn't mean it's his best friend that he's had on a team. In fact, his closest friend on this team is clearly Goran Dragic. All right. And that, that relationship developed pretty early and it's over soccer. But by favorite teammate, it's, it's seeing a guy who can be a superstar, but also uh, is somebody that you want to play with, that, that you, you want to, you know, to sort of rise up. And I think it surprises people in part because, look, Jimmy played with Dwayne, who's obviously one of his best friends. You would think that would be his favorite teammate. But also, I mean, you know, Jimmy's played with a lot of guys who, you know, were supposed to be leading lights in the league, okay? And, and you and I talked about this before the season. I mean, Andrew Wiggins was first overall, right? Carl Anthony Towns, right? <laughs> Same thing. Ben, ben Simmons, first overall. Joel Embiid would have been first overall if he'd been healthy, most likely, uh, when he came out. And yet none of them, it seems – Except Embiid, although that seems more friendship than respect. I know there's respect, but it seems like more sort of they just like each other. Absolutely. N none of them really – I don't know. Jimmy didn't, Jimmy didn't see them as, I guess, equals in work and leadership the way he has seen Bam. That's an interesting perspective that I think you bring because there is a difference between how he sees Embiid and how he sees Bam. And like you said, I think it's more of a personal thing with Embiid. It's a laughy, jokey, this guy's a good dude type of thing. With Bam, it is this guy wants to be great. And unlike Wiggins and unlike Towns and unlike, you know, other guys that he's played with before. That's <clears throat> I wasn't going to say anything. About how to have a name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did someone have sinus infection in there? Out. Okay, my bad. But unlike other guys, Bam has been willing to improve his game. And you can't put a ceiling on him. Like, you can't look at anything that Bam does on the floor and say, he can't do this. You know what I'm saying? He's improved as a mid-range shooter. He's in hub offensively. He gets down and dirty and plays defensively. And if you look at it, Jimmy loves playing these 95-90 games more than he likes playing the 121-119 games where you really got to grind it out, where you got to really defend and get these extra possessions. And on top of this, I believe that Bam can probably take Jimmy Butler at his best and probably Jimmy Butler at his worst when I say that the message isn't getting across as clearly and everything else. Bam can probably take that and understand you know, the coaching, the leadership in ways that other guys can't. So when you say favorite teammate, it's probably who understands exactly what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish, and who's going to ride with me, whether it's, you know, to the, to the Phoenix Suns seven seconds or less, or if we're going to play, you know, old school Knicks Heat 1997, where, you know, guys going to be throwing punches at the end of it. I think he looks at Bam as a guy that can play in either field, and he loves him for it. I want to follow with you a little more on Embiid because uh, 
you know, I feel like the, the, the Sixers were the foil to the Heat, at least for Heat fans this year, because of the perception that Philly was going to be better. They blew out the Heat the first time they played each other this season. And then sort of everything spiraled out of control for Philadelphia while it got better for Miami. Miami won the last three games of their season series. We all know what happened in the bubble with Philly. Of course, the Simmons injury certainly didn't help, but they get swept out. They're a mess. The coach is fired. Everybody in Philadelphia, everybody who said Jimmy was going to Miami to retire, mocking the whole situation, you know, they've all, you know, had their comeuppance and a lot of them acknowledged that they were wrong. But the Embiid thing, I think, is still hanging out there because, I mean, Jimmy can't help but post on Joel, Joel's social media, <laughs> uh, make the crack, you know, this is, there's a place where villains are welcome, all that other kind of stuff. And I, in, in your interactions with Jimmy, and you've spent more time around him than I have, is he just playing to the public there, like teasing the public, having some fun with him? Or is there something real here that he really wants Joel Embiid to play with him in Miami? It's probably a little bit of both, right? Like, it's a – I think Jimmy's a guy that, hey, if you want to come play on my team, cool, come play on my team. We'll figure it out. It's probably a thing he doesn't realize – he doesn't realize – but, you know, Bam and Embiid probably occupy similar space, not quite the same space on the floor, you know, but you don't ever want to be in a spot where Pat says, hey, we can get him. And Jimmy says, no, we shouldn't. So I do think there's more gamesmanship than anything else because Jimmy's just a jokester. It's Jimmy taking shots at Philly more than anything else and using Embiid as a vessel to take shots at Philly, to take shots at Minnesota, to take shots at Chicago, and to sort of do it with a smile, but also at the same time, hey, look, if things go sour there and there's a way that we can work things out for you here, I'll welcome you with open arms. Do you honestly think that Jimmy Butler would turn down Joel Embiid coming to Miami to play on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo's Miami Heat? Notice the way I said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right, right. It's a little bit different than what, what the situation up in Philadelphia. Absolutely. There's no, no, there's no question. And, and it, it would be on his yep. terms, um, in, his, in his sort of quote-unquote culture that had been established. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is when I'm sort of exploring the future, and we're going to talk more about the current Heat team and the playoffs because I know people want to get to that too. We're going to talk Raptors, Celtics as well. But when people do look ahead at where the Heat could go, Right. And the fact that it has worked out so well with Jimmy and some of the concerns about the back end of that contract are not as big concerns now because Jimmy played at a high level. So you're through one year of the contract and it seemed to work out. And obviously the growth in hero, uh, Duncan Robinson coming out of nowhere, Bam's ascent, Dragic continuing to play at a high level and building a relationship with Jimmy. All of these things are positive, but people are By the way, all those ahead. things can be attributed and to Jimmy. Almost all of them. Right. I mean, I don't know about Goran's, uh, some of the, the but growth I think stuff from the young players, definitely. Duncan, no, no doubt. No doubt. And, and I think that, that he does, he should take ownership of some of that because he is somewhat responsible for it. But I think when you look ahead, we talk about sort of the big prize and I want to get to it, which is, you know, you reported and it's similar to what I heard that the two teams that Giannis would most likely consider. And then we saw some of the betting odds come out and they were the same two teams. If he were to leave Milwaukee, and this is before the series was lost, would be Miami and Toronto. And the, the question I have for you here, because everybody talks about his relationship with Masai. Some have said that's actually a little overstated these days, but the relationship with Masai uh, and also obviously a lot of what Miami offers, we can talk Dallas, Golden State, et cetera. But for Miami and Toronto, 
a big part of it to me would be how he would fit with Jimmy um, as a player, but also, you know, as a person. And, and, I can't, and it's funny because there was that video that was circulating on social media about Jimmy kind of harassing Giannis on the court going all the way back to Giannis's rookie year. Is, is there a relationship there? between the two of them? Because I haven't gathered that there really is. One. I haven't either. And I haven't asked, you know, to be candid here, I haven't asked Jimmy about his feelings about Giannis. And I was there in that first playoff series where Giannis and the Bucks gave the Bulls a, a pretty good run in 2015 after falling down 3-0. And Giannis started to unlock himself a little bit. And you could see it. And they won the next two games before getting, you know, blown out in Milwaukee in game six. And I think there's a, a healthy respect, I would say. I don't know if there's a, a quote-unquote relationship there yet, but, you know, you got to think both of these guys are, you know, or have been, you know, Nike athletes, and, you know, those things sort of tend to uh, develop organically on, on the summer trips and everything else, but I haven't seen anything. But here's the thing. Giannis works out by himself over the summer. Jimmy sometimes works out with his teammates and everything else. And he used to work out with Kawhi Leonard uh, in San Diego a, a few summers ago where they were mm. really, really getting after it, you know, but you're talking about two lone wolves type of things. And I think Jimmy can see Giannis as a guy that, okay, if I'm gonna hand something off, I'm gonna hand it off to this guy. This guy's the MVP. I can hand it off to him and we can win. It can still be quote unquote, you know, my franchise, my show, whatever the case may be. But it because Jimmy's still going to have the strongest personality. He probably looks at Giannis as a little bit, you know, younger. Giannis is twenty five. Jimmy's what thirty one, or, or going or or maybe just or maybe maybe going on thirty one a couple of weeks. I I would suppose. Um. So I think that the door will forever be open. And not only that, you got to look at the way that Dwayne Wade opened his arms to Jimmy Butler, in in Chicago when Dwayne Wade was uh, welcomed to Chicago his first day he came out to the media and said, this is Jimmy Butler's team. And I think there's a lot of, you know, paying it forward that Jimmy looks at it. And Dwayne was a pretty big reason why that Jimmy's even in Miami to begin with. Like the sale job began, you know, in Chicago. Thanks, Gar Foreman. You know, that, that, <laughs> those type of things happen. And I, I would not be surprised if Jimmy is the type of guy that wants to look out and say, you know what, I got some skin in this franchise and I helped the franchise that always gets his man get their next man. And I was helped. I was there to help usher him in. That's a good point. I mean, you say a lot of things that I just like, damn, this guy's good every time. <laughs> but uh, it's also to add to what you were saying about their, you know, them not really having a relationship, but maybe there being mutual respect. Giannis, we know that Giannis picked Jimmy and Bam to be a part of uh, his all-star team yep. in Chicago this year. And he kind of talked about uh, both of them being hard workers and all of that. I imagine that's going to be something that uh, is going to be a huge part of the pitch uh, for the Heat, you know, besides the fact that they just beat them in a five-game series in the second round, is that all these guys are all about hard work. And that's Giannis. That's kind of what he's talked about ever since, uh, you know, he's been drafted, is how hard he works and how much he loves the game. I think it's something that it's a, it's a common thread, and it's something that the Heat don't just talk about. They kind of just prove themselves now. Like, I think it would have – like, it's a – the pitch doesn't look as good if they lose in the first round in seven games or something like that. How seriously do you think the Heat are in those conversations? Like, if you had to – there's no way to rank it now, right? Because we know Giannis wants to stay with the Bucks. We know he's competitive as all hell and is going to come back next year with 
full intent on, on getting to the finals. With that being said, if you had to take a best guess, where would you rank the Heat among all the teams involved? I would probably rank the Heat before Toronto. Because mm-hmm. I because the only the only way I would say that is because the way that Miami beat like if you if you look at the two teams that have beat the two teams that have beat Giannis in the playoffs are the two teams that we all would believe that are at the front of his table, right? But the way that Miami beat Milwaukee with a bunch of different dudes, adjustments all over the place, a strong culture, a strong like everything that Giannis probably wants to build. Elite shooting. Everything that Giannis wants to build in Milwaukee, Miami already has. He looks in a mirror and sees the Miami Heat in in theory. You know what I'm saying? In terms of culture, in terms of style, in terms of, you know what I'm saying, what you want to be, what you aspire to be, in terms of being a championship organization that has done it multiple times over. And and now, like, I don't think people realize, A, how much of a wizard Eric Spolster is, and B, the fact that they were one quarter away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals four years ago without LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, you know, being a primetime player, but not the best of Dwayne Wade. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think I think that a guy like Giannis has like a panoramic view. And I do think that he he garners some respect for Toronto because of how last year ended and everything else. But man, I'm I'm betting he has a lot of respect and a lot of admiration for Miami at this point. And he yeah, probably still wants to kick their ass next year, but he has a lot of respect well, for them in between. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, you're talking about one more year, and I, you know, I, I heard Windhorst, you know, talking on ESPN about the parallels with the with the '09 Cavs team. We've talked about that many times here on Five on the Floor. I feel like I've been talking about that for a year. The, the parallel and, and and the problem that he's going to have in Milwaukee, where I admire the loyalty, just like I admire the loyalty of Dame Lillard in Portland. Just like for years, people admired the loyalty of Kevin Garnett in Minnesota until he finally relented. I admire the loyalty. But loyalty sometimes doesn't mix with reality, Vinny. <laughs> like, and, 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 and the reality is that I don't know how they get a player without gutting the thing. I don't know how they get a player who's better than Chris Middleton. And I just don't think that Chris Middleton is a number two. I think we just saw it. Even, even look, even with the, some of the scoring games, you know, it was not comfortable to be running stuff for him all the time. He shot 33, 35% in the last two games of that series, even while he was producing, you know, big point totals, that the efficiency was not there. And, and I, I just, you know, there was some talk today about Chris Paul. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, Philly's probably going to make a run at Chris Paul too, especially if Billy Donovan ends up They there. both seem like they're a Chris Paul away, specifically Milwaukee. I think Chris Paul right. would just be an incredible fit for that he team. Would, he would. But, what, okay, so if – but here's the thing. If you're going to commit to Chris Paul in any way, and, and obviously I know, Vinny, you have, some, have had some interactions with Chris <laughs> <laughs> over time. Uh, <laughs> I, if, if, if you're going to commit to Chris Paul in any way – you're talking about committing to those last two years of that contract, which basically eliminates the possibility of doing anything else. So like, that's the piece then in the same way that, I mean, I guess for LeBron, what Antoine Jameson was the piece. It was supposed to be Maurice Stoudemire or Chris Bosh. But would you, would you see the bucks being able to trade for somebody better than Chris Paul or a high profile guy like that? I think this is their chance. And especially for a team with that context, the Milwaukee bucks and what we've known about that organization over the past couple of decades or so. Um, I just think this is the best shot, man. And, and it's such an obvious fit. Like if you can keep Middleton 
and, and, and add Chris Paul to that, I think they're the immediate favorite to go to the finals next year. And yeah. I don't even think that's a that's an on paper thing. No, no, no. I, I think that's a practical thing. I think when mm-hmm. you if you put Giannis in a situation where he doesn't have to start and finish every play, and who what better point guard to have as the you know as a screen and roller the first half of the of the screen and roller down the middle of the floor than Chris Paul who can manipulate defenses in a way that let's just be honest, Eric Bledsoe has not shown the ability to do when the playoffs uh, call for him to do it the most. I like Chris Middleton. I think Chris Middleton is a perfect complement to Giannis in the way that Giannis needs the entire floor in some ways, and Chris Middleton does not. And I think you need to have the balance in between where guys' sweet spots are and stuff like that. And I think from a personality standpoint, you know, Chris is not his ego doesn't get in the way of Giannis ascending. I think it's a lot of more of those ancillary pieces and honestly, some some coaching mistakes that I've felt that um, Mike Budenhoser has committed over the past couple years. But I do agree that point guard is a, is a big thing. Here's the other thing, Ethan. You can talk about taking on Chris Paul's contract and his money. I got another number for you. Billion dollars. You want to know what that billion dollars represents, Ethan? It represents that sprawling downtown district in Milwaukee with that arena with a big poster of Giannis on the side of it. They did not build that for that man to leave because they did not feel like paying the luxury tax. Thank you. Yes. But they they didn't want to pay the luxury tax for Malcolm Brogdon. So now now you've basically – look, I understand if you decided Malcolm Brogdon's not that guy to pay that money, but then you better deploy the money somewhere else. I mean, that's the thing. You're paying double for Chris Paul, who is 10 years older. Well, it, obviously it's better than Brogdon. He's like, we know he's a better player than Brogdon, but my God, that leaving, letting that man walk, it just looks like more of a mistake than ever, given what we know about them now. But it's, it's not just the player personnel mistake. It's the message mistake. And, th- and that's the problem when you have a superstar. And it's the same thing that happened. If you go back to OKC with, you know, not paying Harden $3 million to keep him. And kind of however, you know, you, you basically lost the chance at a dynasty potentially out there. See, I, dis- I disagree with that, Ethan. Why is that? I don't think Oklahoma City was ever going to win a championship with all three of those guys. Money aside, because mm-hmm. you, you tell me who was going to be the person to willingly take a step back. I, I, I understand that, but you can say you weren't going to win with all three of those guys, but it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to sell hard and low which is basically what they did because it was over money. So what did you got? What, what did they get? They got Kevin Martin. I'm, I'm thinking back to they it. Got, they, got, they got Steven. They got the draft pick that became Steven Adams. Okay. So they got the draft pick that became Steven Adams because Presty drafts well. Fine. Okay. But, right. but, but you, didn't, you didn't maximize. I mean, you ended up picking three guys in the top, what, in the top five over the course of, uh, what was it, three years mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that are going to be Hall of Famers. And, and you ended up basically dumping one for – not nothing, but pretty much next to nothing. You didn't maximize the situation. When you're a small market, that's the thing. When yep. you hit gold, you, you, you have to pay the players. You have to. It's, and, you, and especially because small market, as you just mentioned with Milwaukee and everything they're spending there, small market doesn't necessarily equate with poor owner. Right. Like in OKC, Clay Bennett was not a poor owner. Okay, he was basically handed the team uh, to move it out of Seattle or moved it out of Seattle. Okay, and it's oil money. Like he was not a poor owner. It, it's not the same as what's going on. What, what's gone on in some other places? I just think if you're Milwaukee, the first mistake was the message mistake with Brogdon. 
Now, unless Giannis said, I don't think this is the guy, maybe Giannis had something to do with it. That's possible, but it looked like he could have used a player. And if the choice was made between Bledsoe and Brogdon, they clearly chose wrong. They clearly chose wrong. It's two straight years now that Bledsoe has been garbage in the playoffs. It, and, the, and my problem was, if you remember the timing of the Bledsoe extension, it was an extension. He wasn't up for free agency yet. They, they gave him a, a deal maybe in March. So they could have waited for the playoffs to play out. It almost indicated some level of urgency to say, hey, let's give Bledsoe some extension so he doesn't turn into a pumpkin in May. And what happened? He still turned into a pumpkin in May. I think what they looked at it as from a, from a number standpoint they weren't sure how much in a, you know, how many wind shares, so to speak, not, not to make fun of wind shares, but they didn't know how much empirical value that Brogdon brought to them mm. from one year to the next. When you factor in Middleton's growth, when you factor in Giannis's growth and you factor in having Bledsoe on a little bit of positional duplication, I disagreed because I felt like even though Brogdon was not a high level shot creator, he could get his own shot in ways that those other two, you know, aren't necessarily as adept as. Mm -hmm. And I felt like not necessarily being cheap, but I felt like when you're dealing with guys in those worlds that they have to see it, they have to see it numbers wise. Like, I don't know if Mickey operates in that way and Mickey's going to be a little bit different because I want to see how, you know, everything works out with his own, you know, business finances before he puts money into the heat. And that could be the only thing, that stops this is once mm. this coronavirus, you know, fueled recession is over, what will some of the personal wealth situations look like along with salary caps and everything else? But taking all that aside, you do have to be careful. You're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're a small market franchise with a superstar, like you have to build around them, you have to maximize your resources, but at, at the same time, you don't want to be you know, Danny Ferry with the Cleveland Cavaliers circa 2010, where you get no draft picks, no players, old players, old expensive players, and it still doesn't work. If Giannis had come out, and then we're going to go to break, and I do want to get to Boston, Toronto here with you. If Giannis uh, comes out and expresses any unhappiness, and he hasn't, okay, he hasn't. He, he said, I want to run through a wall. I'm going to go right through it. I'm going to be with this group. I think they're setting it up where they give Bud one more year and that if it doesn't work out, Bud gets blamed and fired and they, they give Giannis a shiny new coach and say, hey, we're going to try it this way. To me, that's how this is. Oh, like when up. the Cavs fired Mike Brown the summer that LeBron left? Yes, exa <laughs> exactly. Some, something like that. It did not work, right? By like, the way, ha, ha, that Middleton uh, swingman Mo Williams take, Ethan, how do you feel about that now? I, I feel pretty damn good when he shot 35% over the last two games of the series. I feel pretty damn good about it. Cause you, know, right, you, you, th you, you think that Chris Middleton is like, you know, high he value. He called him swingman Mo Williams. I called him swingman Mo Williams before oh, the good. series. And I stand by it, Vinny. He's better than Mo Williams, but the point remains. The point remains. He's the disrespect. Not, he, he, Vinny, he's not good enough to be a number two on a championship team. That's it. That's it. He's not good enough to keep a guy in a market. I would love to have Chris Middleton on the Heat. Okay, we look great on the Heat. All right, but I'm just saying, as your third best player, as your fourth best, but he's not. He, you're not winning anything with him as your second best player. You just it not. depends on it depends on who your third best player is. Okay, but then you're talking about more of an ensemble cast. Then you're talking about you know the Pistons teams that you love to talk about. Okay, both Pistons teams. Okay, you know, there we go. <laughs> you, you weren't really you weren't really sure who the third best player was because the top four or five players were kind of all B plus to I mean, A minus. Perfect players. example. There really are just the Chris Paul way, man. Like I really can't. It just it just seems like a 
hand and glove fit with everything that they need. Like I, I just saw something today that was circulating around NBA Twitter about how uh, Giannis is like, you know, a uh, roller on the pick and roll frequency was not really as high as it should be. And that the guards kind of struggle in that effect of, in, in that aspect, I mean, of getting him the, the ball as a roller. I mean, Chris Paul, you want to talk about somebody who could help with that. As far, and as far as just having another ball handler and score, another guy who's going to lead the team, another guy who's going to play defense, like he is everything they need. But what are you just giving up? Lead what, the what, team. What, 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 it's going to be you... one of those things where like OKC received picks to, to get Chris Paul, right? When they trade, they, they received a couple yeah, picks. Yeah, they got so picks I feel back like... in the Westbrook deal, yes. And they've also got a slew of picks from the Clippers. They've got like 22 picks in the next I would, four years. I would imagine a package like Bledsoe, DiVincenzo, some picks, you know, whatever else to make it work, something like that. But if they don't get a Chris Paul, though, I just think we're, they're going to see more of the same next year because the blueprint is out on defending that team. But obviously you need the, the personnel to do it. Like, I don't know if the Celtics, for example – have the right personnel, but maybe they could replicate something like that. Another team with multiple a defensive players that can that can take turns on on Giannis. I just think it's going to be more of the same next year, right? And I think he's going to find himself in a similar situation. It depends on if you convince yourself that you ran up against two perfect storms. You ran up against the perfect storm and Kawhi Leonard and Nick Nurse, who at that Van time Lee. years ago, I did not think Nick Nurse was a great coach. I thought Nick Nurse. Pardon the pun, threw a bunch of shit against the wall and found something that stuck in game three of the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, wow. When you're, when you're matching wits with Brett Brown, I no, like no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. When you're matching wits with Brett Brown, I don't see it. But I think he found something. And I think he found some confidence. And I think he found, you know, like just something in this pro game that worked for him and carried it on to this year. And despite Norman Powell's isolation and everything else, I feel like Nick Nurse is still – you know, is a very, very good coach and was well-deserving of my coach of the year vote first place that I got. And Spo was third. Mike Budenholzer was not on my ballot this year. And I, I think one thing that Giannis needs is someone to take the pressure off of him from a leadership standpoint. Mm. Sometimes that doesn't come from the bench. Like, if he were playing in Miami without Jimmy Butler, there was no Jimmy Butler there, but there was Eric Spolster there and Heat culture, Giannis would be fine. But because there isn't that leadership on the sidelines, that direct leadership that I, I don't know if necessarily Buttonholzer, you know, has that presence. We know Chris Paul has that presence. And as, you know, honorary as Chris Paul is and all the things that we can say about him personality-wise, about how he's not going to take any shit and everything else, that man is a hell of a leader, one of the best we've ever seen, you know, at his position. He's not a champion, but he's a damn great leader. And I think putting him next to Giannis takes the load off of him. Giannis doesn't need that much more, right? And if you look at it and say that it's two perfect storms with the Heat team being a perfect storm and the Raptors team being a perfect storm, then it can't happen three times in a row, right? Not if we get Chris Paul, right? Well, yeah, I mean, th there always is the feeling if you make one significant tweak that you can get the team over the hump. I just think that there's some, there's some institutional flaws there in Milwaukee that I don't know if Chris Paul alone is going to solve in the same way that I think there are some institutional flaws in Philadelphia. I just don't think they show up in the regular season in Milwaukee, but I think we're, there's not, also we're some... not going, we are not, we, you are not going to sit here on Al Gore. No, I'm internet. not going to compare the two and say that they're equal, but I'm saying that some of it though, <laughs> some of it, uh, look, obviously Milwaukee's better. Obviously Milwaukee's better run, but, but the other thing is there are flaws in Giannis's game that need to be fixed Yep. For him to rise to the same level in the postseason, 
consistently that he does in the regular season. He's an impossible player to prepare for in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you can prepare for him. He's got to make himself impossible to prepare for in the postseason. And I, I think I that's think, coaching. I think but, that's, but that's what I'm saying. There, to me, there's only a couple of places in the NBA right now where that where you can guarantee that that would happen. And you mentioned, and the two at the top of the list to me are the two you mentioned, which are, are probably right now Miami and Toronto, because San Antonio is not at that stage right now where they're with, with the, just the level of talent that they have. So to me, it's it's those two places and look there's going to be a lot of movement and i i do want to get back to the eastern conference playoffs but th there's going to be a lot of movement uh because ohio ready for some quick mental health facts let's go nearly two million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide so why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Because I, I think Houston's situation is going to be blown up. Um, I think Moray and D'Antoni are both out. Uh, I thought they were out even if they win this series. Uh, and I don't, know where, I, don't, I don't know where Mike's going to end up. He's gonna, I, I've heard and others have heard, and I'm sure you've probably heard this, Vinny, that the owner there and, and team <laughs> officials there wanted, wanted Morey and, and D'Antoni out for months, okay? And oh so, so I, just, I think, you know, Morey's going to end up with, you know, running some other team, and D'Antoni's going to end up uh, in any of – it could be Indiana. Um, it could be uh, – what's still open at this stage? Indiana, Philly, Chicago, uh, Oklahoma City's now open. Am I missing? Uh, I feel like I'm missing a couple. Am I missing? Am I missing uh, a couple? I think those are the one. Oh, in New Orleans, New Orleans, in New Orleans, New Orleans. And there is a relationship, by the way, between David Griffin and Mike D'Antoni. Of course, Griff came yep. up in Phoenix. So David Griffin and Ty Lue. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's a bunch of options. All right, we're gonna talk. We're, we're gonna get back to the Eastern Conference Finals in a second. I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that's You Break Wheel Fix. They're located just south of Aventura in North Miami. They've got 15 years of experience in wheel repair and refinishing, repair of cracked, bent, curved, or damaged wheels. They also refinish and powder coat back to factory specifications, along with over 5,000 available custom colors. And you know what some of those colors are? They're the vice colors. So go get, your, go, go get your truck done up in vice colors. They got the themed wheel colors after your favorite South Florida sports teams, including, as I said, the Heat, the Dolphins. Yeah, ask them for Inner Miami. See how that goes. Visit You Break Wheel Fix along all social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Or call Mark and the crew down there at 305-748-0112. That's 305-748-0112. 0112 or the website youbreakwheelfix.com. All right, welcome back on Five on the Floor, Five Reasons Sports Network, also the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Make sure you download the Dash Radio app and search for Nothing But Net. We've got Vincent Goodwill here. We've got Alex Toledo. I'm Ethan Skolnick. Um, let's get to the Eastern Conference Finals, although we can't really get to the Eastern Conference Finals because today there was a double, tonight, double overtime game between Toronto and Boston in which we basically learned that teams are only allowed to play five players each. Um, they're not allowed to play a sixth player. Uh, Kyle Lowry played 53 minutes. He wasn't first on his team. And we also learned that Nick Nurse at the end of the first overtime decided to, instead of trusting Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry, got, thank God he didn't trust Pascal Siakam. 
but he thanked, he decided to trust Norm Powell on an isolation at the end of the first overtime. Uh, he didn't end up paying for it because Toronto pulled it out in the second OT. Let me go to you first, Alex, on this. Uh, obviously, the best possible outcome for the Heat was this series to get extended to seven because now the Heat, I don't think they're going to start till Tuesday. We don't have an exact date yet, but I think it probably is going to be Tuesday. I've heard it could be Monday. Um, but first thing, good for the Heat that this was extended. And second, what did you see from these two teams in this game that, you know, affects the heat in any way? Well, I think it's definitely good for the heat. I, I think it's, uh, there's no doubt that them getting more rest, especially with, you know, all the stuff Goran was doing. I mean, they were doing a lot. That, that was uh, even though the, the Bucks, were, it was a five game series going up against a team that was on their way to winning 70. I'm sure had a toll on them specifically go on Dragon show. It's good that they're going to have even more time off. But with this game, man, like these two teams, are, it's just a great series. I, I had a feeling it was going to go seven because they're, they're, it's almost like looking in a mirror when they play each other. They both just never stop, never stop grinding and, and just kind of playing and, and, and being deliberate with finding the right shot over and over and a bunch of guys who can pass, shoot, dribble, and it's just over and over and over. And I think it's kind of a facsimile for what the Bucks did not pose as a threat to the Heat, where we know that the Bucks have the best player out of all these series. But at the end of the day, they, they did not have a system where it's multiple playmakers, multiple, and, you know, they had great defenders, but who can also defend. And I think whether it's the Bucks, I mean, whether it's the Celtics or the Raptors, you're going to get that. And I think the we, we've all kind of agreed that the Celtics are a slightly worse matchup, even without Hayward for the Heat. But watching these two games, it's like, yeah, they're always going to get the shot. They're always going to find the matchup to hunt. And I think that's something that the Heat needs to really watch out for. Uh, Vinny, how did Boston end up in this? I, I understand Hayward being out is, is a huge chunk of it because otherwise Smart would be in a different role than he is and you'd be a little deeper. But when you had as many assets as Ainge had and how many picks, how many players they stashed overseas, <laughs> how is it possible that they've only got like seven or eight playable guys? Well, see, I've had to walk some stuff back with Danny Ainge this year. Now you're going to take me back to the dark side. Like, I was, I was one of the Danny Ainge troopers that said, hey, you, you held on to all these picks and pick swaps and everything else, and you wound up flaming out last year, and I didn't see Tatum or Brown becoming a superstar. And Tatum looks like a franchise player. Jalen Brown looks like a superstar. I don't know if what's holding them back is like a lack of like size or if they're just not able to put away a veteran team. Like they're still really young. Like I think that's one thing we look at Boston and we say, hey, they took they took Cleveland's LeBron's to a, a seventh game and was a 2018 with no Kyrie. And then last year they were a second round team and everything else. But I still think they got some learning to do. I, th I still think that this is the team that is growing and maturing and Brad Stevens, as we know, can be a wizard, but he's going to trust the guys that – I mean, who are you taking off the floor? You're going to take Marcus Smart off the floor? Mm -hmm. You're not going to take Tatum O'Brown off the floor. You're not going to take Kimball off the floor. You need your one – you know, your one big who is somewhat defensively inclined, so that takes out Ennis Cantor. So I'm looking forward to seeing which team has enough late because I don't know about you guys. I think from a – I hate to use the same old tropes, from, but from like a – you got to put this team away standpoint. Toronto is really, really tough because they have a confidence and a verve and a toughness that you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to put them down. They're not going to beat themselves. Boston, 
they're just more talented. You know, they got a, they got a yeah. couple more guys that are a little bit better than a couple of your secondary guys. Does that make sense? I think top to top, every you know, things can be a little mm-hmm. bit even. But in the next tier of guys, of guys that can create their own shots, that's where it gets, gets kind of tricky. So do you want to play a team that's more talented than you? Or do you want to play the team that you literally have to put down like an old dog? What's happened to Pascal Siakam in the bubble? I don't know. I, I think I looked at him last year. And you guys watch foot. You guys are football guys. I, I I saw him as like Kawhi was a three and a half yard cloud of dust guy, and Kawhi was the fifth. I mean, uh, Pascal was the fifteen yard slant, and he just he ran circles around Draymond Green in the finals last year. And I don't think that everybody who's fit to be a number two is fit to be a number one. He doesn't look as strong, like he doesn't. You know, you can get him off his off his base a little bit. So that takes him a spot or two or a foot or two back off of where he wants to start, you know, start his drives and everything else. And he just doesn't look as confident. You know what I'm saying? Does he, does he not look as aware or as confident? Like he seems like he has a couple of lapses here and there that are not befitting of a guy who's supposed to be a number one, one, a type of guy. Vince, he and doesn't look like he knows where to find his spots on the floor. That That's part of it. Those Boston wings too. though. They've got yeah. so many guys. They've got between Brown and semi Ojale, who's, who's a very good defender coming off the bench. Can't shoot, but between those two guys and all the other, you know, Tatum is a very good defender. I just think he's, he's having a real tough time out there, man. Cause he's essentially a wing on offense and uh, you know, a, a do it all guy on defense. He can't really play make or score at the same rate of like a Jason Tatum or another premier wing. Like he kind of has to be a part of a motion offense. I feel like, like I, I think uh, maybe if he gets a smaller guy on him, he he get he get, he starts working in the post and he demands the trap or demands the double. But if he's got a somebody who can take him one on one, and it's just like oh, he's not as good as these other wing uh, scorers in the playoffs. I think he's just got to get the ball and move more, you know, because if you look at it, like yeah. this goes back to, to the strength thing. Like if he doesn't have physical, if he doesn't have leverage, then, you know, if I think if he's got leverage and he can blow by you, he can use his, he can use that length, that extra step, you know what I'm saying? But if you're having him stationary and that's the problem I have with a lot of today's scores is nobody's really effective off the ball. Like Harden, if he doesn't have the ball, he's 30 feet from the realm and completely useless. And I feel like that's a function of a lot of coaching and, and stuff like that, where guys don't know how to use players when they don't have the ball. And I feel like Pascal is not, hasn't played basketball long enough. You know what I'm saying? To work within the crevices, to know where his spots are, to, to where his spots have always been because he hasn't played basketball that long. So I think this is just part of the growing pains. And this is where, skill development has to come in. You know, who's really great with skill development, player development, the Miami Heat. Right. And well, Toronto is too. I mean, if you look at where Van yeah. Fleet is compared to where he came in, I, I just think, I think what you, you, I think you're hitting on the point though. I think Pascal's gone from being a, a, a two to a one and then having teams with the opportunity to prepare against him. And he's not, he, he just wasn't getting to his spots tonight. And then he, I don't know. He, he he went from looking really fluid to looking gangly to me. Like he just he doesn't look right. And it was to the point where you're like, okay, you almost need to take this guy off the floor. And that's not something I was. It's just, it just wasn't just that he was shooting poorly. He just wasn't giving them anything, and he was making bad decisions. I, I want to get to decisions with Toronto though a little bit, and then we'll get we'll cycle back to the series. Uh, 
Masai's got some big decisions to make this offseason. I mean, he's got Lowry in the last year of a deal at 27. He's got Van Vliet, who I, your old friends in Detroit are among the teams that are going to make a run. I don't see that. He's got Gasol. He's got Gasol and Ibaka who yep. are free agents. How does he play this? I don't see Masai being the type that's going to lock up a team that has a very hard ceiling to a long-term future with said hard ceiling, right? Like, there, we've had rumors about, you know, Kyle Lowry being moved even before DeMar DeRozan was moved, right? And it just so happened that DeRozan was moved, Lowry stayed, won him a championship, and, you know, Lowry comes up with games like tonight that says, oh, God, you can't trade him. You know, but you paid him, what, an extra $30 million for one year so you could have – you can give him the financial uh, freedom, the financial flexibility and everything else, but also give yourself the freedom to get out from under it if need be. I don't know if, how much you invest in Ibaka and Gasol. Two bigs, especially when you see so many teams only playing one, especially when you believe that you can develop someone younger out of the draft you know, or someone that you already have in your, your uh, what's the kid's name, Boucher, who Boucher. I, think is, I think he's a little light. But I'm sure that's somebody that they feel like they can develop. A little not generous. Not, not necessarily to replace those guys, but that's the confidence that they have in, you know, their own program. So I don't know with what type of return you're going to get on a Gasol or Ibaka staying long term. Like, I don't see that happening. And I don't know if Fred VanVleet is asking for $20-plus million. plus I don't know who's paying that. Somebody will pay it, but I don't know who is paying it. I don't know if Toronto isn't a bad team going to pay it though. Like I, this is the same conversation we've had to a lesser degree about Derek Jones Jr. That that there's, and Fred Van Vliet's a more, you know, accomplished player at this point than Derek Jones Jr. But, but I'm just saying that there's always going to be those. And again, I hate to pick on one of the teams you covered. There's always going to be a Detroit or a Knicks or one of these teams that feels like they can't get a free agent any other way without overpaying. And they're going to pay a guy who's really a two or a three, or in Derek Jones Jr.'s case, maybe a five or a six, you know, way above where they should be, and then be disappointed that the guy is not that. I mean, we kind of said that about Brogdon last year with Indiana, and it worked out fairly well. But I, I just, there's going to be a team that pays him. I mean, I think, I think Masai is going to be on the spot. And this is kind of why I keep coming back to the Kyle Lowry conversation, because I think, Vinny, you and I both know that there's a certain player in Miami who wears 22 who loves that dude. And I just, you know, and, and, and every time that, that I kind of, you know, with anybody associated with Jimmy, you know, bring up all these bigger names, the D- Lola Depot and Donovan Mitchell, eh, he'd really like to play with Kyle Lowry. Um, I mean, we, we, we've discussed this a little bit on, on some other platforms, but what would you give up? If you're the Heat, would you, would you go in for Kyle Lowry? Would you give up something for Kyle Lowry to put him in a, even if you keep Dragic? Even keeping Drogic and playing those two together, that would be beyond. Would that would really be a test of Heat culture? <laughs> that would be. Well, one of them, one of them, still a, a plus defender. So one of them will come off the bench, probably. Right, Goran. And they remember this has been done before in Houston. <laughs> yeah, they did play together. I mean. Gord also played with Bledsoe. Um, and, and it wound up, Bledsoe wound up saying, I don't want to be here. That's uh, true. Good point. No. Isaiah Thomas was there at the time also. But, yes, I mean, Lowry and Goran, I know, have – I saw Goran tweeted tonight. He made the Mike Lowry joke about Kyle. Uh, they, they, I, I think they had a strained relationship at one point, but they don't now. Um, I, I just – I don't know. Is it I around mean, the 2016 uh, conference semifinals? 
roughly yeah no i think it was actually before that i think it dated back to houston but for everything i'd heard uh it turned out pretty good they were pretty cordial to each other during that series actually but i i just i, I don't know it's it, to me he lowry's interesting because if there is a guy who screams a veteran who screams heat culture and is kind of the you know the roly-poly guard version of jimmy that's it yeah right absolutely i don't i don't disagree with you and you know, Jimmy always has like, Jimmy has a huge appetite. Like when he was in Chicago, he was really upset that they didn't try to make a play for Kyrie Irving. And he was really, really upset about that because he felt like, you know, with wherever, I can't remember what, what particular year it was, but he felt like the year that Kyrie wanted out of Cleveland. He, and it was before it really got public, he had let the Bulls know, hey, you know, we can get Kyrie. And I guess the Bulls weren't really, you know, feeling Jimmy being G- Jimmy GM. <laughs> so, you know, I, I say that to say that I think Jimmy always has an affinity for certain guys. I think they had that Olympic experience and everything else. But I would not – I even even if – because Goran Dragic is a free agent this year, correct? Yes, he's a free agent, and uh, they're going to resign him. But I, the question is, do you resign him for the one-year balloon payment, which is what we think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Or do some of these – I'm, I'm actually sort of teeing up on a column I'm going to write this week about how really the next test for Pat Riley – he's pretty much passed all the tests the last year – is not the sales job outside the organization. He has to do another sales job inside the organization. He has to do the sales job that was done for guys like Haslam and Mike Miller back when they signed. Like, he has to convince – Bam Adebayo to wait on his extension. He's got to convince Goron to take one year. He's got to convince Jay Crowder to take one year so that this thing, you know, when both guys might want more stability and Bam might certainly want the big payday because he's got to say there's a bigger vision here. And I just, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is if the Heat, like let's say the Heat go to the finals, right? There may be some guys on this team who are like, we don't need a big fish from somewhere else. We're fine pay us (laughs) and i think this is a test that we're not really talking about but Mm. i think if if the heat have outsized success and they kind of already have by reaching the eastern conference finals i wonder if the perspective of some of these guys bam goron and jay in particular change and they're like we're good enough we don't need to this long-term plan for 2021 what are we waiting for if so i mean but i mean from what i've seen from pat riley even though you know the godfather is a little a little bit on the older side he's always gone big game hunting even yes. even if this team makes the finals i don't think that deters them from their long-term vision and they have to be especially more solvent financially because they don't know what the league's finances are going to look like beyond this year like this year's numbers they're going to try to stay as flat as possible because they don't want this free agency class to receive a dip but they don't know what it's going to look like beyond next year you don't get 82 games in and you don't get fan, you don't get butts in the seats and everything else. You're going to have to ask guys to sacrifice regardless, in my opinion. And how much of a sell job are you going to have for that when there's no actual promise of something coming on the back end of this, be it here or elsewhere? Like, to me, there's so many different variables. And if anybody can do it, it's Pat, right? Like, Pat has literally found a way when they had no cap space to get Jimmy Butler. Like, they literally had what? Twenty dollars in cap space or something like that in, in <laughs> July. Like literally, I felt like they had like twenty dollars and fifty cents or something like that in cap space, and they wound up getting they wound up getting Jimmy. So I don't put anything past those guys. I'm just I just need to see a pathway. I need to see a practical pathway, 
And it, does that does that mean you take a a half? I'm gonna say a half step back next year. Does that mean you turn to a second round team next year so you can position yourself to be better? But I don't see Pat ever taking a step back. Well, you mentioned it too. The other thing, and we're gonna talk about uh, we're talking about the Heat's chances a little bit more here in a second. You also mentioned the the financial situation. We've talked about this a lot on Five on the Floor. A Carnival stock was down sixty three cents today, down three and a half percent. Uh, is now at 17 bucks and 66 cents at the start of the year. It was at $52. So it's basically been cut by two thirds. Uh, Mickey had to sell a portion of it to Saudi Arabia, uh, to a group oh. Saudi Arabia. And I think it was 8% of it. So, I mean, the finances look, nobody's going to cry for a billionaire. I get it. Um, but the finances are not where they were uh, six months ago. That's for well, sure. And, well, let me, let, me, let me ask you guys this, because mm-hmm. this is something that I've heard around league circles, period. Mm-hmm. Do not be surprised if some of these teams start taking on minority owners, guys mm-hmm. who just want to get in. Will Mickey be the type to take in an investor, a minority investor, but someone with you know, a, a decent amount of capital, to keep things flush and not necessarily like a succession plan or anything. Well, he like just, that. He, 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 I mean, they just did with his primary business in a way. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past him to do it. I also think what you're, t- I've heard the same thing. And one of the things I've heard is that this is a great opportunity. And again, we're going to use the word minority in a different context. This is a great opportunity to get sort of ownership of color um, involved in, in ways uh, where there's more control than there has been in the past. And I know that that's an initiative that the league wants to pursue. And I, so I can absolutely see that the path being cleared for that. Um, there certainly are people who would want to buy into the Miami heat. Uh, and, and I think some of them would be names and some of them wouldn't, but I definitely think that's a possibility. Again, I haven't heard that, you know, he's in danger of having to sell or anything like that, but, but it's, it's something you can't ignore. I mean, you're, the economics of the league, there's going to be, like you said, a big slap in the face after this thing is over. And, you know, and kind of where everybody stands and, and the heat are one of the organizations that's going to be most affected because they, you know, we, as we know, you know, the owners who are in kind of, uh, you know, sort of the leisure business, okay, whether it's the Houston owner or the heat owner, they were more affected by this, right? <laughs> and whereas maybe Dan Gilbert in Cleveland, who's, you know, basically doing refinances, that really didn't slow down during the pandemic, but obviously, you know, Carnival Cruise Line, yes. Okay, uh, casinos. We talk about the Rockets, yes. And so I do think that that's going to be a factor. We get back to basketball here to close, but first a word from our sponsor, Safe Cubbies. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace. But it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's Safe cubbies.com which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget you can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards magnetic panels acrylic sheets and graphic branding most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes now this is for workplaces they've got a bunch of different options on their professional series but also they've got private room solutions dividers and sneeze guards and they have a 
classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We are entering a new normal period with COVID-19. SafeCubbies.com, which is locally owned, is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or SafeCubbies.com. All right, let's gonna, we're going to finish up here with Vinny. Uh, let's put you on the spot. Alex and I are going to put you on the spot because I, I had you on five on the floor before the season. Where did you have the heat? I thought I had the heat there in the east behind Milwaukee and Boston. I think you did. I think, I think you were one of the few. There, there were a few. I think Zach Lowe might have been another one, although that was quite a turn of events from bleakest future in the NBA. Um, but I think you were – I know I had him, I had him third – you had them third. They ended up finishing third. But, but I guess, is there anything about this? Because Heat fans are, um, what's the word? What, we, what word we use is Alex. They feel persecuted all the time by the national media. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair way to put it? I mean, I think yep. that, you know, that nobody loves us. Nobody respects us. Everybody hated us when we had the big three. Then everybody they will say it for us. literally anything. Right, exactly. I mean, you even have people who came from here, like George Sedano, you know, saying, I'd rather be the Sixers, you know, that, that kind of stuff, right? I mean, it, nobody gives – Oh, and, my God. And, right, and even this series, like, it's all been about what Giannis did wrong or the, or the Milwaukee did wrong instead of what the Heat did right. Like, I, I couldn't find a segment about the Heat today on ESPN. It was all about Milwaukee and about Giannis. So I, why is that, Vinny? Why do you think? Or are we just, or are we just paranoid? No, I think it's. Um, I think it all sort of stems from that four-year stretch with LeBron. It, it was very much the you that market doesn't deserve LeBron, and that market doesn't deserve this level of, um, you know, this level of entertainment, this level of everything, right? Not just LeBron, but Dwayne and Chris Bosh and everything that came along with it. And 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 I do think that when a five team when a five seat beats a number one the number one is going to be the story, largely. You know, you, you write the postmortem on the MVP who has the free agency stuff coming up, and then you wind up focusing on the team that's going to continue playing, you know, in the next, in the next couple of days because Milwaukee's going home and Miami's moving on. So while it's a little bit of paranoia, it's a little bit of practicality, it's a little bit like, you got to think, I'm from Detroit, where when the Pistons were winning, everybody said it was bad basketball, but – I looked at the New York Knicks in the 90s uh, play, play like the Flintstones and all of a sudden they're literally like lauded like they've done something worth for them and they haven't won anything. Or the Celtics of 2008, they run around ESPN and all these other platforms like they've won three or four championships and act as if like they invented basketball. But because of the market, you know, it, it means something. So I totally get you know, where Heat fans come from. Don't get me wrong. Some of the some of the jokes do write themselves when fans are leaving the arena as Ray Allen is hitting the, you know. Okay, okay, okay. It's okay. funny. I it's, see it, that at every it's day. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny. I don't think it's warranted. I just think it's funny, Ethan. Can think deny. about it. I'm an equal Can opportunity deny. jerk. I pass this on to everybody. I mean, no, Heat fans I, hate the walking out of the arena yeah. thing, but you just cannot deny 
the I mean the comedy of that, bro. <laughs> you can't in the finals no, or the big one of the biggest shots in NBA history. Like that's that is pretty amazing. They were all walking by me. There's no question. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I I I don't remember a whole lot of it because I, I was cursing at the time because I'd already written one column and had to rewrite a different one in eight minutes. But yeah, no, there was no truth. There was some truth to it. But I will say this, Vinny, and I know you covered the Bulls for a while, man. I went to a bunch of games at United Center where the crowds arrived late. Okay. Absolutely. Right. And and then and then when the team wasn't very good, did not arrive at all. Okay. And and so I, I do think that there is a perception that Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, uh, you know, these places are always more pure in terms of packing the arena and being there early. And that just is not true. Now I think in Miami it's look, it's a little bit more. I look, I'm not going to say Miami has worse traffic than Chicago because they're pretty equivalent, but like in Miami, look, they put more things in the arena to do to distract you from the game. Yes. Okay. Uh, Was that the wisest idea from a basketball perspective? No. Do I understand it? Yes. But I do think that Miami sometimes gets painted with this brush when all of these other arenas I've been to, if the team is not compelling, people don't come, they don't come on time, they don't stay till the end. It's just And it's know. Miami, Ethan. Yeah, there's I know much where it is. more No, here. no, no, no. I'm just saying there's so much more stuff to do. Let let's say you get tickets to a game. And you're like, oh let's 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 go hang out downtown before the game. The game starts at seven o'clock. You're kicking it. You gotta really convince me to leave wherever I'm at to even go. I'm not, I'm not knocking the fans. I'm just saying, if you're in Chicago or New York and it's March and it's snowing outside, yeah, you're going to want to go in the Madison Square Garden or the United Center to watch whoever played at Washington Generals. If it's March and it's 82 degrees and you're looking up and you're looking around, game, pina colada, game, Fat Tuesdays, game, look at all the shrubbery around here. Yeah, I'm going to be a late arrival to the game, too. And I'm not knocking nobody for it, all right? Vinny, Vinny, what is shrubbery euphemism for? Because I, I don't know that I've quite heard that one before, but I appreciate it. All right, let, let's I'm, – I'm, 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 I'm going to let you close here with this then so you can make a bold prediction. All right. What do you put – we know right now that we, – we don't know if it's Boston or Toronto. I'm assuming it's going to be the Clippers or Lakers on the other side. As we speak right now, the Clippers are up on Denver. Um, and so, so the NBA is going to potentially get LA, LA, Boston, Miami. I, I guess they probably wish that they were actually going to be in those arenas, but it, it's four, you know, pretty compelling, three pretty compelling markets, um, you know, in, in terms of, of what you got going on there. Uh, give me a percentage chance. Give me a percentage chance of the Heat winning a championship this year. Percentage this year. chance. Yes. Uh, Ten. 10% chance. I, I, give them a ten, I give them a stronger chance to get to the finals. Okay. He, and not, not knowing who's going to come out um, because I think Eric Spoelstra is the best coach. And I think, by and large, Jimmy Butler is the best player out of anybody left. And if you give me the best coach and the best player and they're on the same side, I'm going to give, give that to you going to the finals. The problem is if you play the Lakers, you're the deeper team, right? Mm-hmm. By you far. go, you yeah. go, you go deeper. You go more versatile. It's just that their big jokers are really big jokers, and Anthony Davis might be a little bit better than Bam Adebayo. Like I don't think that Bam would bother Anthony Davis in the way that a PJ Tucker bothers Anthony Davis. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, right. There was actually something that came out the other day that uh, 
Bam this year on Anthony Davis, given the small sample and all of that, did not do a great job guarding Anthony Davis. And nobody guards Anthony Davis straight up when you when you're when you're his size because you're going against you know quickness, hand speed, everything else. Even though Bam is exceptionally quick and all that, like Anthony Davis is a is an alien. You know what I mean? And that and that's no shot or no shade. Yeah, the difference between him and Giannis, he could just shoot right over you if he doesn't get the the shot he wants in the lane. Absolutely, absolutely. So to say to give him a ten or fifteen percent chance, I feel like Miami should be throwing me a parade the next time I come down. And I'm I, I'm 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 with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true i mean this to, to be talking about a championship now is just insane i, I love that we're here now yeah it, it is no it's crazy there's no question. what do you what do you give them ethan no i think that's fair i i i, I now that i think about it i'd say probably 15 percent um i i i give him a, i give him a puncher's chance here i i think that uh, you know look um you look at both matchups against la uh to me the clippers is the worst matchup for miami I, I just I, I you know I saw both of those games obviously I was at the game here in Miami, and and the problem, I disagree. You you think the Lakers are worse matchup? Yeah, so I don't like that the Clippers are just as deep as the Heat, pretty much more or less. Uh, but the thing with the Lakers to me is that there's I think that's the one that's one team where the the double bigs could work against is the Heat because I think the Heat will absolutely have to play them off. Or they would have to kind of light them up and really just force them off the court because otherwise that kind of forces somebody else to guard Anthony Davis, like a Jay Crowder. And I don't love that. I know that, you know, you can get somebody shorter who's stocky to guard a bigger player, somebody who really knows, you know, defensive fundamentals and, and how to front players and timing and all of that. I don't know if Crowder is PJ Tucker. I don't think he's that guy. Uh, and I think, you know, LeBron James is obviously, we know who he is. We know that uh, he's one of the best see, of all time. AD, AD worries me more than LeBron would in that series. I, I, because they have a lot of bodies to throw at LeBron. I'll tell you the guy who. Yeah, probably, but that's what it is. I think they have yeah. the bodies to deal with Kawhi and Paul George, and it, the the AD thing is 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 tough to me. I, I also. Think, but they you know, could sell out on the shooters too, and just say let the shooters beat you. Well, that's. And what I think they, that would be a good plan too. That's what that's, that's what they would. That's what they would do. They would they would force Caruso and KCP and Rondo and if Waiters or Jr. Smith play, uh, or Danny Green has been pretty awful to to beat them. I mean. Oh that's, man, Ethan, Ethan, Dion versus the Heat in the finals. Oh, I know. I know. Is that a bigger angle than LeBron versus the Heat? Oh no, it's the biggest angle. It, it's. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's the biggest angle. Well, if you had if you had the Heat against the Clippers, you'd realize you know Kawhi doesn't really want to be playing with Paul George. He wanted to be playing with Jimmy. So I mean, th there's there's angles all over the place. I would say, I I think you're probably right, Vinny. I think ten to fifteen percent. Um, I I think it feels a little to me like when I don't know when the Knicks in '99 got to the finals against the Spurs, where you know they kind of they surprised everybody to get there. They beat the Heat along the way, but they surprised everybody to get there. And, you know, they had an interesting team that played well together, but then they just ran up against a team that just had more talent. I think that's probably where they would be. And then I think we'll be having the conversation and Riley will be having the conversation internally. Okay, we need one more guy um, and we can get there. But, man, if they got there, a, a heat against LeBron series. Oh, my God. Give it to me. Give it to me again, right? Give it to me again. I can't do the Levitard thing. The uh, come will petition to come out of retirement. For <laughs> I mean, oh please, please! Oh my could, God! Could could you imagine? I mean, it's the only thing that would be missing from it is LeBron actually having to try to win in this arena because he doesn't do that. You know, he's done, oh, done it wow. once. He, he he needed a 
he needed uh, a sort of that phantom foul right on Jimmy at the end of the game. That feels like three years ago. It was wow, this season. I forgot about that game. Good. Right? Geez. The three, the three yeah. foul shots. Was it the foul? Was it the? No, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. I mean, that was a terrible. Honestly, that was one of the most terrible terribly officiated games this season like i was yep. way more pissed at that one than this last one that everybody hated well did i did i get it confused it was actually was it a jimmy shot that ad fouled him and it didn't get called or was it the other way i can't remember i, don't remember. I just know that we were mad i, I, I think yeah. jimmy hit i think jimmy had a shot i want to say in front of the bench right wing yeah and he might have got tapped on the elbow or something like that yes i think that's what it was it. Yes, I think that I think that's what. It, look, everybody follows every game who follows us. So let us know if you heard it on the podcast. Uh, let us know what happened. All right, Vinny, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You can follow him, of course, at Yahoo Sports. Uh, Alex and I will be back with you later in the week. Floor's yours uh, Thursday night. It's going to be a quick one because we're also going to be recording with former Heat guard Keon Dooling, who actually was a part of the last Heat Celtics playoff game. He was on the Celtics at the time. There's only. Three guys. Do you know this off the top of your head? I tweeted this today. Alex, the only three guys still in the league. Uh, actually, four. There's actually four because I forgot about one. Four guys still in the league who played in that game. Can you name them? From the last Heat Celtics game? The last Heat the Celtics. Playoffs. It would have been 2000. So it's not Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, 2012, <laughs> no. No. Uh, it's LeBron. It's yes. UD. Yes. Oh, God. Rondo. Rondo is Rondo. three. Rondo is three, and I forgot this one. It's one more is the fourth. Thank you for wow, listening uh, to the five on the floor. Wait, what? On the five He's in New Orleans. He played in that game for Boston. He played. He played. Uh, Mark Brown, PA. Any kind of real estate law, that's your guy to go to. You break, we'll fix, and safecubbies.com. Tell your school about safecubbies.com because uh, I'm telling my daughter's school about them for sure. Have a great night or day. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.